Father, thank you that you love us so much, that you sent Jesus for us, and you also sent people into our lives to tell us the message of Jesus. We pray now that you would work on our hearts, that you would help us to hear from you and your word, that you would help us to love you more, to love those around us, and to share your word with others too. Thanks for this part of First Thessalonians we get to look at today. Please fill us with the Holy Spirit as we hear from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What do you have to show for it? Anybody ever asked you that question? Uh, what was the... I'd, li- I'd like to hear the story of it sometime. That sounds... <laughs> it's a question someone might ask you, for example, if you have invested some money in something. So, 10 years, you, put, you took out that investment. What do you have to show for it? How is that done for you? Or perhaps if you've started a business, somebody might say, okay, you, you spent all this money to get the business going. What do you have to show for it? Or if you recently went on a vacation, when you come back, people might ask you, what do you have to show for it? Because, you know, if you didn't bring back any souvenirs or photos, it's like you never went, right? So um, we, we went on a vacation. Kids, have you ever seen a shirt like this? I'm going to put a shirt up on the screen. Your, your parents go away on a vacation. Maybe the older people know what this is going to be. This is, these shirts were kind of popular when I was younger, but here's an example of one. It's maybe it's too small, but it says, my parents went to San Francisco, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt. Yeah. Now, um, Christine and I actually went to San Francisco and didn't even bring back a t-shirt for our kids. I think we got like a little fridge magnet or something. But uh, the idea here is that when we, when we do something, there, there's kind of this sense of we, we want to have something to show for it. Now, these ones that I've been talking about aren't of real eternal significance yet, but now I want to go to that question. As we talk about our relationship with Jesus and as we think about the fact that he is coming again, What are we going to have to show for the lives that we have lived here? As followers of Jesus Christ, we should live our lives in such a way that we will have something to show for how we have invested our lives here. In the Bible passage we looked at last Sunday, the Apostle Paul talked about how the people to whom he ministered were like a crown. And many theologians have noted that this idea of of crowns in the Bible, perhaps one of the reasons that we are given crowns as rewards is so that we can lay them at the feet of Jesus in eternity. In fact, I want to read for you a passage from Revelation 4 where it's talking about the the people in heaven. The the book of Revelation is glimpses of what heaven looks like in various places. And, And in this glimpse, we see people and angels and elders and living creatures surrounding the throne. And here's what it says the elders do in Revelation 4. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being. Now that sounds really meaningful to me. And this idea of having a crown to to place before Jesus when we see him seems like it could be something very valuable to him as well as very meaningful to us. So we want to have something to be able to offer to Jesus. We we know that Jesus is coming again. And when he comes again, we're going to want to have something of value, something to show for the way that we have lived our lives here. And I think that that kind of offering that we're, we're talking about, presenting something to Jesus when he comes again, I think of two categories. The first category is the category of of how we have lived our lives here, how we have loved other people, how we have pursued holiness, how we have met with God and loved him. That's, that's the first category. And then the second category is the category of, of helping other people know Jesus and grow in their faith. 
So as we think about the, the way that the Bible talks about crowns and what we might be able to do with them, I think of those two categories, the way we live our lives and the way we help others know Jesus and grow in their faith. The passage of Scripture that we're going to look at in 1 Thessalonians today touches on both of those categories. So we are walking through the book of 1 Thessalonians in our sermon series here. Again, I want to encourage you to read it and reread it on your own. And in this book, we have seen examples from Paul, Silas, and Timothy of how they worked hard to bring the gospel message to the people of Thessalonica. And not just to get them to say a prayer indicating they received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. It probably included something like that. But more than that, also, it was helping them to grow in their faith once they had placed their faith in Jesus. And it's a great example for us because we, of course, want to be people who love Jesus and grow in our faith, who live holy lives, who live lives of love. But also, as we do that, we want to see the opportunities around us that God gives us to help other people grow in their faith. Now, let's start out today... um, with a description of what I mean when I, when I say the phrase disciple-making. Disciple-making is something that we want to be engaged in here at Cornerstone Church. Now, it comes from us being disciples, first and foremost. We're, we're going to have a really hard time making disciples if we're not following Jesus Christ. But for those of us who are following Jesus, we want to help others know Jesus. We want to help others grow in their faith. And that's, that's what we call disciple-making. And I, I really, really want us to be actively engaged in that. Again, that's what the Bible talks about, uh, living holy lives and making disciples. Those are things that perhaps we'll get crowns for that we can lay before the feet of Jesus. Now, let's start out with, also with a little bit of a context of where we're at in First Thessalonians. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy brought the gospel message to Thessalon- excuse me, Thessalonica, it was a warm reception at first. There was a, a, a looks like a pretty good-sized group of people who received the gospel message and started to grow in their faith, but then there was persecution from people in the city who didn't like the gospel message, and they ended up, kick, ended up kicking out Paul, Silas, and Timothy from Thessalonica. So as they were separated, Paul, as he's writing this letter, is deeply saddened to have had to leave, and he wanted to go back but he couldn't go back. And remember last week I said maybe he was on the most wanted posters in Thessalonica and it just wouldn't have been safe for him to go back there. So instead, his plan was to send Timothy back to Thessalonica to get a report of how their faith was doing. Our passage today is that report that Timothy brought back to Paul after going to the city of Thessalonica. So we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 13, and we're going to break it into two parts. In in the first part, we're going to see a continuation of the theme we saw last Sunday, the heart of a disciple maker. And then in our second section, we're going to see a a model prayer for love and holiness. So our first section is the heart of a disciple maker, and I want to read verses 6 through 11. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. So in verse 6, Timothy brings the report back to Paul, and it's a good one. The the people are growing. 
in their, what, what does it say, in their faith and in their love. The people want to see Paul again, which would be a good sign. If, if they weren't walking in their faith, they probably wouldn't want to see Paul again. But it's a, it's a good report. Now, in chapter 2, remember, Paul had talked about how he was like a father and a mother figure to these people of Thessalonica. So when he heard this good report, it's like a parent hearing a good report. Parents, we know what that's like, right? Maybe we think of the, the report card comes home in the mail, and it's a good one. All right, our kids are doing good in school. We like to hear that. Or maybe for those of you that are older, maybe it's a phone call that you get from one of your kids, and your, and your kid tells you they're doing well. They're walking with Jesus they're making good choices. Isn't that refreshing and encouraging to get news like that about your child? Now, here again, we see the heart of a parent in disciple-making. Sometimes, I mentioned this last week, but sometimes we get this picture of Paul that he was just this task-oriented, multinational church planter and just wanted to go from city to city to city so he could build up his resume with all these churches that he planted. I don't think that gets at it. I think parts of those things are true, but let's not miss out on the heart that Paul had as he deeply cared for these people and wanted to see them again. And in verses 7-8, it talks about how encouraged he was that even though he was going through distress and persecution, he was greatly encouraged at their faith. And in verse 8, he even said, for now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Does it seem like Paul's exaggerating here? Um, I don't think that we should take this report to say that he would have died if there was a bad report. But, but I think, again, we see this heart as a parent. There's good news here. And as a father or a mother, we like hearing a good report. So, so let me frame it this way. As, we, as we're talking about this idea of making disciples, we were created not only to walk with Jesus, but also to help other people know Jesus and to walk with him. A huge part of our life's purpose is in this lifelong process of making disciples, of helping other people know Jesus and grow in their faith. And when we live out our life's purpose and we hear a good report of it, it feels good, right? And I think, let's not cast that aside and say, oh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't have to feel good when other people are doing well or, or when I've helped somebody. No, no, I don't. I think that's being a little too humble. Uh, I, I think it's being unnecessarily humble if there's something, uh, if that's possible. Let me use an illustration here. You guys know Eric Little, right? The, uh, the Olympic runner. Um, he was probably faster than most of us, I would say, right? Uh, faster than me, for sure. And you know, this famous quote from him, he said, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, how did God make us? God made us to know him, and God also made us to help other people know him. So if that is part of our life's purpose to make disciples, then we should get a sense of, of satisfaction and purpose as we make disciples. And, and think about it this way. I think that there are lots of people in this world who are missing out on their life's purpose. Now, obviously, non-Christians who, who don't have a relationship with Jesus, who have rejected the gospel, of course, they have shut themselves off to the source of hope and joy. So why would we expect them to have purpose if they're, if they're shutting themselves off to the one who made us for a purpose. But even Christians, even Christians, people who would say that they're walking with Jesus, who are not actively involved in making disciples, are then not living out part of their purpose in life. Now I understand that, that what I just said there can maybe lead to guilt for some people. That's not my intention today. 
my, my intent is not for anybody to, to leave here and say, oh, I'm such a bad Christian because I haven't been doing my part. Not at all. In fact, uh, if anything, what I would just like us to consider is that this is part of our life's purpose. And I, I'm guessing we've all felt this at times, this, this sense of what am I doing, this this who am I, why am I here sort of a feeling. We've probably all struggled with that, and there, there's different levels of it as well. We've probably all felt that to some degree, and I would like to suggest that part of the answer to that question, who am I, it's two questions, who am I, why am I here, it's to engage in making disciples. God didn't just snatch us up to heaven the moment we received Jesus, and, and there's a purpose for us remaining here, and a huge part of that purpose is that we would pass our faith on to others. One theologian, when he was talking about verse 8, talked about how helping others in their faith journey is part of our fullness of Christian life. So think about that. Paul talked about how he really lived because the people to whom he ministered were standing firm in the Lord. It's, it's part of our fullness to see other people embrace the gospel, to see other people grow in their faith as we help them out. And again, the, the honor and glory for that doesn't go to us, it goes to Jesus. But that's, that's our life's purpose, isn't it? To give honor and glory to Jesus? And, and we know what he likes. Again, I, I love this verse, Ephesians 5.10. Find out what pleases the Lord. Does it please the Lord when other people know Jesus and grow in their faith? Of course, that's, that's a no-brainer. So, shouldn't we then be engaged in that? And then uh, moving on to verse 9, Paul continues this theme about how much joy he has. He's not even sure that he could thank God enough for all the joy that he had upon hearing this good report from Timothy that the Thessalonians are still walking in their faith. And that's a good reminder for us too, that, that as we make disciples, let's be joyful in it. Let's give thanks to God as we see people growing in their faith, as we see people coming to Jesus. So don't just make disciples, praise God as you make disciples. And then in verses 10 through 11, we get into how Paul tells the people that he was praying for them. His prayer is going to continue in verses 12 and 13 as well. That's our next section. But for here in verses 10 and 11, Paul talks about how he prayed earnestly night and day that, that he might be able to see the people again and that he could provide what was lacking in their faith. And historically, it's pretty neat that there was an answer to that prayer. If you look at Acts 20, verses 1 through 3, you see that Paul most likely did get to see the Thessalonians again, perhaps even twice as he was making his other missionary journeys. God answered his prayer and, and brought that desire to fruition, that he was able to see the people again. Um, but also here, we see the heart of a disciple-maker coming through. Someone who deeply wanted people to grow in their faith, so he labored for them in prayer. Again, he says here, night and day he prayed for them. Now, we know that Paul was a busy guy. He was busy as a missionary. He was even busy as a tent-maker as he went from city to city. So he would... You know, preach the gospel by day and do tent making by night. Now, I, I don't know, maybe he mixed those up sometimes, day and night, but he was really busy, yet he found time to pray night and day. Now, I, I mentioned this earlier in my sermon series, but it bears repeating here. In chapter 5, Paul is going to command us to pray continually. I think it's one of the most difficult commands in the Bible. But before he gives, gives that command, he modeled it. He showed us what it means to, to pray night and day. And I think he was probably praying as he was mending tents or making tents, as well as praying as he was ministering to people. So you can pray in your job. You can pray at home. You can, wherever we are, we can pray. And we can include praying about making disciples as we pray in that. 
So again, it's the heart of a parent here. The heart of a parent to want people to grow in their faith. So what does this mean for us? As we think about not just Paul and Thessalonica 2,000 years ago, what about us? Well, the application question here is, what kind of disciple makers should we be? What kind of disciple makers should we be? I've wanted you to see so far in this section how Paul had the heart of a parent for these people and how Paul incorporated prayer as part of his strategy. So along those two lines, do you genuinely care for people? Do you want people to come to know Jesus? Do you want people to grow in their faith? Or are you kind of one of those people that's just like, I don't need more people in my life? And, and believe me, I get that. I, I once heard somebody say that we're all like Legos and Maybe some people's Lego bricks are bigger than others, but maybe you think of a Lego piece that's like four by eight or something, and so there's 32 little Lego notches on there, and you, you only have so much room for so many people in your life. But um, if that's the case, if you feel like, boy, all of, your, all of your spaces in life are taken, I just ask you to ask God, say, who are the people then maybe that are already in my life among whom I can make disciples? Or... God, can you expand my capacity to, to be with other people that I could make disciples maybe of somebody I haven't even met yet? But do you, do you long for people to know Jesus and to grow in their faith? Now again, there's all sorts of other things in this life that we could get caught up in. I just want to urge us today in this message to get caught up in the things that actually matter for eternity. And certainly, the hearts and souls of people matter. So, you care for people. And then secondly, are you praying for people? Who are you praying for? One of the things, one of the ways I like to think about our church here is that we have an army of people who can go out there and, and pray for people and share the gospel with people and share scripture with people. So, a huge part of that process is that we would actively be praying. So, who are you praying for? Are, do you have a list of people? People that that would be a possible discipleship relationship that, that you can help them grow in their faith? Are you praying for them? If not, I want to urge you to start that kind of a list. I want you to think about the people in your life that you can help grow in their faith. And I just want to say, uh, let me just scan the room here really quick just to make sure that what I'm about to say is a true statement. Um, it is a true statement. I pray for all of you, every single one of you in here. I pray for all of you regularly. And I, it's not just okay, I pray for Nathan and Ruth and Phil and Marla and Valerie that they would all grow in their faith. And it's not that kind of a prayer. It's, I'm, I'm praying through each of you individually the needs that I know about you, uh, your, your growth in your faith. So it's, it's my heart as a disciple maker to, to see every one of you grow in your faith. And I want to encourage you all to do that. And by the way, if you want to come to me and ask me what I'm praying for, you'd be glad to do that. Or if you have a request you'd like to add to that, I want to see you grow in your faith. So I'm praying for those ends. So what are you doing to be actively engaged in making disciples? Where is your heart at? What kind of prayers are you offering? And what are you doing to engage? Because it's one thing to say I have a heart to make disciples. Uh, let me just tell a quick story here. Um, I've been doing college ministry for a long time. I did six years of full-time college ministry after I graduated from college. And now I've been at it for about ten and a half years. And I hear a lot of people say, I have such a heart for college students. And when I hear that, I always take it with a grain of salt because in my thought is, okay, what are you doing about that? It's great, great that you have a heart for college students. Are you praying for them? I mean, that's, that's the simplest thing that you could do. But the second question would be, what are you doing for college students? Have you had any of them over to your house? Have you, have you gone on campus and tried to meet any of them? Like, having a heart doesn't just mean, oh, I have good feelings for them. Look at what Paul did. 
he got on a boat and traveled. He, in spite of persecution, he kept delivering the gospel message. So let's not just stop at saying, oh, I have a heart for people. Let's actually go and, and do something about that. If, as parents, we don't just say, oh, I have a heart for my kids. We, we do stuff for them to help them grow. Okay. Let's move on to our next section now. Uh, the second section here is a prayer for love and holiness. Verses 12 and 13. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Now, just a quick note, we will see these two ideas of love and holiness in our next section, next week in chapter 4. Love and holiness are two of the main attributes of God. In fact, I had a pastor mentor about 10 years ago say that love and holiness are the two main attributes of God. 10 years later, I'm still trying to figure out if I agree with that statement or not, but it has led to a lot of fruitful thoughts in my mind about the importance of love and holiness as chief attributes of God. And because they are attributes of God, and because we were created in the image of God, and because God is remaking us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, we should also be people who love and who are holy. In the Bible it says God is love, and it also says God is holy. So being his image bearers, we should also grow in our love and our holiness. So in verse 12, we see this prayer for love. And it's not that the Thessalonians lacked love. In fact, we'll see next Sunday in chapter 4 that they were actually doing really well in love. Um, yet Paul told them to increase more and more. And the point here then isn't to scold the people for doing a bad job at love, not at all. The point here is that their love would continue to increase and overflow. So what I want to do now in my message, I want to take a little break. I want to invite kids up here. I, I have a... Uh, we did this, this same thing probably about three years ago or so, but I bet there's lots of kids who don't remember it. So anybody who's a kid, you can come up here and maybe just uh, sit either on the floor or in this front row. So uh, feel, feel free to come on up. Um, I love this idea of overflowing. So I want to set this up. Kids, why don't you sit so you can see me? Why don't you either sit on the chairs or sit on the floor so, so you can see me? So kids, this, uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna sit down here too. So, all right. Hopefully uh, so I can get back up. Will one of you push me back up if I need help? <laughs> this, you, thank you. Okay. This picture here represents God, and the water inside of it represents His love. Now, there's one thing that I need to tell you. This picture is not nearly big enough to represent God, is it? If this were God, it would be as big as the universe, or even bigger. So this. It's possible that I could pour all of this water out of this pitcher, but I want you to know we can never, ever run out of God's love. So um, I, it's like maybe a better way to do this is if we had a hose here and the water just kept on coming and coming and coming. But there's enough water in here for what we're going to do today. So the, the pitcher represents God and the water in it represents God's love. God's love. Now this cup represents us and this glass bowl here represents the people around us. Okay. So we know that we are supposed to have God's love, right? That's a good thing. So, should I pour just a little bit of God's love in there? Can you see how much I have in there? I have just like a teeny little bit of my... Is, it, is that what I should do with God's no. love? Should I just get a little bit? No! Yes. Should I get a, a little more? Like, like that? Is that enough? Maybe I don't want to overdo it. Somebody once said to me, everything in moderation, right? I said, well, not, not when it comes to walking with God. So... Maybe a little bit more then. Is that right? Should I go like half full, three quarters full? I, 
do I want to be yeah. do I want to be careful with it, not to have too much? Or what should I do? Get more. Get more. I should get even more. Okay, I'm gonna have to stand up now. I think I can do it. All right, I made it. Okay. So remember. Oh, I forgot one thing. Maybe. Okay. Reverse, reverse. Okay. So let's say this is me, and I have some of God's love in me, and this is the people around me. Now, what if the people around me need God's love, and I say, oh, maybe I will, oh, wait, I don't have enough of it. I'm not going to give it to anybody else. Mm -hmm. Or maybe I give a little bit of it, and, oh, 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 I'm running out, so sorry, I'm not going to be nice to you because I don't have enough love in me. <laughs> is that the way we should do that? No. no. Okay, so... Now, we were, I was here before. Okay, I had about that much of God's love in me. You guys were saying I should have even more? Yeah, more. More? More? Okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna start to pour more, and now I'm almost full. Should I stop right there? Yeah. No. Because does God have more love to give? Yeah. He does. Yeah. Because remember, this will, with God, this will never, ever, ever run out. Okay, so I haven't given much love away right now. I've got a lot of God's love in me, but I haven't given much love away. So here's the, the best part way to have God's love is that we keep on pouring it. And what happens is I pour, keep pouring God's love into me. It's overflowing. And the people around me, what are they getting? They're getting God's love. As I'm able to show God's love. And this, remember, this water with God will never run out. So I can always, always, always keep on getting filled with God's love. And as I get filled with God's love, it can the, the words in our Bible passage today are increase. Do you know what increase means? Increase just means get more. And overflow. That's what it's doing. This cup is continually overflowing. And as I do, I'm giving more and more love to the people around me. And remember, God's love will never run out. Okay. So that's, that's what we're supposed to do with God's love. We're supposed to have so much of it in us that it flows over to the people around us. Okay, you kids can go back to your seat now. Maybe some of these plants need some water too. I don't know. Uh... Now I love this word picture of overflowing love. I love it because the, it shows that the love that we have does not originate from us. It comes from God. God is the never-ending supply of love. He is love. Twice in the book of 1 John, we see this little phrase that says, God is love. So theologically speaking, before we think about how we're going to give love to other people, what we need to recognize is that God is the source of love. So we need God to love us, which he does, and then we are to, to live in that love relationship with him. And one of the things that I couldn't really do in this little uh, children's sermon illustration here is that our love should flow back to God as well. That, that as God loves us, we should love him in return, and, and there's plenty of love to go around there. But the idea here is that if we are to love other people, we must remain connected to God's love. Otherwise, we will certainly run out. And this reminds me of the first and second greatest commandments. You guys know those. First one, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Second one, love your neighbor as yourself. And I've often said here, and I, it, it's, it's kind of funny to me, uh, kind of sad in some ways, this, this world has really latched on to this idea of loving your neighbor as yourself. Like, they look at that in the Bible and they say, we like that verse. And, and what I would say to them is, good, I'm glad you like that because it's the fingerprint of God on your heart that you recognize that you were created to love the people around you, not to live in enmity with them. But what I would also like to say to those people is that you will certainly run out of your capacity to love your neighbor if you are not connected to the source of love. 
So as Christians, we need to remember that. We should be the most loving people in this world. Our neighbors should know us as the ones who overflow with love. But we need to recognize that that source of love comes from God. And we're only going to have that kind of love to give away as we are connected to God, as we are receiving love from Him and loving Him in return. So we need to get the order right. The first command is first. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we love Him, He will give us the strength to love those around us. Um, so again, the Thessalonians were already doing well in love, but it says in 4.9 that they had been taught by God to love each other. And that's what I want for us. I want us to be taught by God how to love each other, how to love those around us. We don't love in our own strength. So we need to be strengthened. And let's remember that this is a prayer. As Paul is talking about this desire for love to overflow, it's a prayer. We don't go to our own resources to answer this. We go to God and we say, God, I need your love. Would you fill me to overflowing? And as we make disciples, let's remind them that they need God's love to fill them to overflowing as well. And then we move on to verse 13, which is a prayer for holiness. Specifically, it's a prayer to be made blameless in holiness. So I mentioned how twice in the Bible we see this phrase, God is love. Well, there's another phrase in the Bible in 1 Peter 1.16 where it says God is holy. And it's actually a quote from at least three Old Testament passages where it says the same thing. And the logic here is the same as what we just talked about with love. That God is love, and because we're in the image of God, we are to love. It's the same thing with holiness. God is holy, we're in his image, we are to live holy lives. To be holy means to be set apart from sin. Now, to explain this idea to you, I want to go to that 1 Peter 1 passage, and I want to read verses 14 through 16, where it says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. We all used to live according to those evil desires. And it's it's the desires of the world, like I mentioned earlier in the service, that that can choke us out. Like that that third soil, the thorns can choke us out. It's It's the desire for other things, the things that God doesn't have for us. That's what our evil desire is. We are not to live that way. We are not to live in conformity to the pattern of this world in which we follow desire and pleasure. Instead, we are to become more like God in in holiness. God is reshaping us into his image. And, And a huge part of that is that we would live holy lives, that we would turn away from sin, that we would embrace what is right and good, and we would live accordingly. Because God is holy, we should seek to live holy lives. So is there any sin you need to turn away from right now? Just let God have full access to your heart and turn away from sin. Paul prayed in verse 13 of our passage today that hearts would be strengthened towards these end. And again, I I can't emphasize enough that what we see here in this passage is a prayer. If we recognize that we need to grow in either love or holiness, what we should do is pray about it. I mentioned last week how our hearts can be strengthened by the gospel and by scripture, and of course, absolutely, those should be regular parts of our lives. But even on a more basic level, we should hopefully all understand that we need God to change us. So we go to him in prayer. In fact, I would say that verses 12 and 13 are a model prayer. This one kind of slipped my view uh, because it's just kind of tucked away here in the end of a paragraph. There, There are other prayers in the Bible that I was more familiar with before studying this one this week. But, but don't miss this one here. This is a fantastic model prayer. And one of the best tips I ever received on prayer is take the prayers of the Bible and incorporate them into your prayer life. 
So there's, a, there's an application point for you this week. Verses 12 and 13. A prayer for love and a prayer for holiness. Pray them for yourself. Also, pray them for the people to whom you are making disciples. So, growing in faith, growing in, uh, by growing in our love and in our holiness. But then there's one other part of verse 13 that I want to mention. At the end of Paul's prayer, Paul mentions this, this idea that we would be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Paul has in mind here the second coming. And make no mistake about it, Jesus is coming again. And that matters for right now. Again, as we think about how I started this question, what do you have to show for it? We want to have something to show when Jesus comes again. So here's my conclusion today. Because Jesus is coming again, we should seek to honor him in all we do. We want to be able to have something like crowns to be able to cast before him, something that will give him honor and glory. And what will honor him more than the work that we can do to help people know Jesus and grow in their faith? What will honor him more than what we can do to to love God and to love others and to live holy lives? So there are three things in this passage that should be true of us as we wait for the second coming of Jesus. That, that's going to be a glorious day when he comes again. And we should live our lives now in light of it. So again, just to, to recap, the three things that we should be doing now as we wait for Jesus to come, number one, make disciples. And again, this is where I just want to urge you not to beat yourself up for how you haven't done it, but instead to say, how can I be more actively engaged in it? And if you have any questions about how to do that, I would love to talk with you about that. And the the simple tip, though, on this, the simple, simple tip on making disciples is you've got to be around people and you should open up God's word. So who are the people in your life that you can do that with? And, and maybe one good way to start out doing discipleship is to put yourself in places where people are already opening God's word and talking about it and helping each other. Maybe your first step in, in making disciples is getting involved in some sort of group where you can just study God's word. Because as we study God's word together, we, we teach and admonish one another, like it says in Colossians 3. So maybe one of the takeaways here is just to get involved in the lives of more people in, in, in environments where you can open up God's word and talk about it together. And maybe God will open up more doors for that as you continue in those relationships. So, when Jesus comes again, though, we are going to want to be able to, to say to him, here are the people that I have helped. Here, like the, like the crown, and you think of, um, maybe the, the individual people are like jewels in a crown, and we can say, here are the people that I have helped. I hope you have liked what I've done for them second thing we want to do as we wait for Jesus is to love God and love others. And again, this is kind of a no-brainer because God is love and that we were created to love. So let's, let's love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and let's love our neighbors as ourselves and let's remember that the source of that love is God himself. So we are to keep meeting with him, letting him fill us to overflowing. And then, what I like about this word picture that we did in the children's church sermon is like there's, there's no line in between when we're receiving God's love and when we're giving it to others. It's just all mixed together. And, and that's what life should kind of look like in many ways. It just all happens together. We, we love God, we walk with Him, we help other people know Him. And then <clears throat> the third thing we want to do as we wait for Jesus to come is to live holy lives. We don't want to be stained by the things of this world. We don't want to let the desires for other things come in and choke us out. 
So where's your heart at in that? And we all, we all need to keep on looking at our hearts almost all the time. We are always, always tempted to live according to those old evil desires that we had. So let's be people who keep talking to God about holiness, asking him to show us what needs to go and, and what needs to, to come in and what needs to stay. I've shared this quote from Martin Luther before. It's probably my favorite Martin Luther quote. Not that I have like lots and lots of favorites of them, so it's like number one on my list of one, I guess. But uh, I love this quote from him. He said, There are two days in my calendar, this day and that day. And what I love about it is this idea that God has given us important things to do this day. I keep coming back to Ephesians 2.10 on this one that says we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to walk around in. So today we have good things to do because God has planned them. Think about how good God is at planning things. And he has given good works for us to do today. But then also that quote from Martin Luther reminds us about that day. That day when Jesus Christ will come again. That day when our work will be tested. And as it talks about in, I believe it's 1 Corinthians 3, that it's, if our work is good, it's going to survive. And it's going to result in glory. But if our work here wasn't good, it's going to be burned up. And, and we get to go through, but our rewards maybe don't come with us. Jesus told us that we can store up treasures in heaven. So as we think about that day, we think about the treasures that we are to store up, it should impact how we live today. So again, I think Martin Luther was, was on the point here. This day and that day, those are the two days that matter for us. So let's live by faith right now. And again, if we invest our lives in making disciples, we're going to have something to offer Jesus on that day. If we invest our lives in loving God and loving others, we're going to have something to show for it on that day. And if we live holy lives here, as we wait for Jesus to come, we're going to have something to show for it on that day when he comes again. So let's pray towards these ends. And let's invest our lives towards these ends as well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for that day when Jesus comes again. We thank you for that day when we receive the goal of our faith, the salvation of our souls. We pray on that day that we will be found to have lived lives that honor you. So, Lord, would you please strengthen us to make disciples. We know that it honors you when people come to Jesus and grow in their faith. Help us to do our part in helping them. And God, we, we often struggle not knowing how to do that. But God, we pray that you would cause that to happen as we walk with you, as we give ourselves to you. Help us to be disciple makers. Show us those people to whom we can minister. We pray that you would open doors. And then God, we also pray that you would strengthen us to live lives of love. Help us to love you and to love those around us, but help us to remember that that love comes from you. So we pray that we would keep meeting with you and that you would change our hearts and make us more loving, more like Jesus. And then, God, we pray also that you would strengthen our hearts, that we might live holy lives. Help us to turn away from sin. Help us not to get caught up in the desires of this world, but help us to live for what will please you. God, you are worthy of honor and glory and praise, and we want to give you honor and glory and praise. So please strengthen us to live our lives for you, to invest our lives in what will matter for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.